this episode, please consider making a donation to the podcast via Venmo to the username at NQCATX. Hello and welcome to Next Quest Podcast, where I ask your potential therapist questions so you don't have to. I am your host, Noah S. Garcia, Licensed Professional Counselor Supervisor. Today I am hosting a special episode of NQP and have a big announcement to make. I have decided to take on my sound engineer, Amanda Justice, as my new co-host. In order to let listeners and future potential guests get to know her, I invited her onto today's episode for an interview. Amanda's assistance in sound guru skills have made this podcast possible, and her joining the show will allow me to have more time to take care of myself, my pup, Maddie, and give the podcast longevity in terms of how long I can continue to make this weekly commitment. So in more ways than one, welcome to the show, Amanda. Thanks, Noah. I'm excited to be part of this. So what is your interest in co-hosting this podcast and, and what are your thoughts about the mission of Next Quest Podcast? Well, one, I'm just excited to help make things easier for you. It sounds like fun, but uh, I also, I think it's going to be a really cool, like, clients and layman perspective on the information being provided. I mean, sometimes I think there are some really technical terms that are a little confusing to understand. And I have... Uh, I've spent a lot of time in therapy and studying kind of the different modalities and, you know, understanding that. So I have a different perspective on the different terminology, but I think about it from the terms of the actual mission of the next quest podcast, which I've, I've been into from the moment you described it to me, which is for people to get to know the therapist locally. I mean, it's, when I went into looking for a local therapist, when I got it back to Austin from San Antonio, it was just so, so daunting, I, you know, just trying to research and trying to glean, like, are we going to vibe from what you see on a website and kind of, you know, reading a little paragraph summary. And then the idea of having to pay multiple sessions to try to get the right therapist, it just, uh, you know, it's almost a stop from the, from the get go. And so yeah. I love the mission that's you know, get to know these therapists, listen to their modalities, hear if they seem like someone just based on their personality that you might be able to get along with. 
Uh, so I really think this is a great opportunity because I see on Facebook really often friends of mine that are just like, I need to go see a therapist. Does anybody have someone they like? And I get to chime in and say, actually, I work on this great podcast that interviews people. Maybe look at the topics of the, of the episode and see if you think somebody might vibe with you. So I'm really excited to be part of this to maybe chime in. And, uh, you know, I think a cool, a cool addition we can make is allow the therapist to ask questions of me from a client's perspective that they couldn't ask their own client. Yeah, I love that. I'm going to love incorporating that into the new episodes. So what is your background and what do you do for a living? I'm a sound engineer, which is always fun to try to explain to people. Um, <laughs> my, favorite, my favorite definition is to say, you know, when you go to a concert, there's always someone standing in the middle of it with a really fancy looking light up uh, piece of equipment. And they usually the look, buttons. yeah, that's me. <laughs> which people most laugh and respond you don't seem the grumpy type and I don't I'm usually the one standing there dancing horribly and enjoying the hell out of myself um but yeah I essentially just mix the music and you know make things sound good uh, and then you know on the side I, I do some editing some mixing and mastering in the studio and yeah that's pretty much what I do um you know I do have a <laughs> I, I, well, I do have a technical degree in audio production, but I also have a, a degree in philosophy. So naturally, I'm a sound engineer because, you know, girl got to make money. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's pretty much what I do. Um, and as I've described to you many times, you know, I'm a I'm a bit of a therapy nerd. I, I tend to really enjoy uh playing with the mind, you know, it's, it's a really fascinating thing to me. And I think it's something really important for people to do over the course of their lives. So this is just something that, you know, casually, I, I really enjoy exploring. Good deal. Tell us a little more about yourself. Like what are your hobbies, interests, TV shows you're watching, music you're listening to, pets, life, partners, kids, all the things. All the things. So it, it's really interesting because prior to quarantine, my entire identity was being a sound engineer. I mean, my entire life, my time, my ego, everything was wrapped up in it. Uh, so being furloughed was a massive blow. It was absolutely heartbreaking for me and the entire community. I mean, uh, if you aren't directly you know, involved in the sound community or the music community in general. Uh, I, I hope you understand how devastating it was for us to lose that and to work, to lose that work for so long. Uh, so, you know, it just really felt like I lost everything. And so I had a bit of a, of an interesting trauma response where I realized I have no survival skills. Nobody gives a shit if things sound good when the world ends. Uh, so yeah, my first go-tos were, I don't know how to feed myself, so I'm going to teach myself how to fish. Uh, and, you know, I don't know how to go out into the woods and survive. I don't know how to build a fire. I don't know how to do any of that stuff. So I taught myself how to fish, which is incidentally now one of my absolute most favorite things to do. You, you and I have spent oh, yeah. most of the year trying to catch sharks, unsuccessfully so far, <laughs> My shark is still out there waiting for me to kiss her and send her out back into the ocean with the utmost respect. We, we, both, we both got one out there with our names on it. We do. She's waiting for me. <laughs> um, and so I, uh, I built a fire pit in the backyard, taught myself how to 
make fires. I became the crazy stick lady in my neighborhood. I, I wandered around and <laughs> collected logs from, you know, all of the yards. And even to today, you know, I don't collect sticks, but I pass a pretty thick stick. And I'm like, man, that's a, that's a nice looking stick. I'd like to <laughs> Um, and then, you know, I'd never been camping before. I just wasn't an outdoors person. It wasn't something my, my family really did. So I forced myself to go on a solo camping trip and I just fell in love. And ever since then, I mean, every, every month I'm out camping, mostly alone, sometimes with friends, but I made a goal this year of traveling Texas tip to tip. And I did it. I've gone from all the way to the North, South, East, West. I've seen all of it and it's been absolutely beautiful. Uh, I love hiking. Uh, my goal this next year is to hike the Camino de Santiago. I feel like I want to go on a pilgrimage, um, you know, hike from France to the coast of Spain. It seems absolutely beautiful. Um, and yeah, that's what I do. I'm, you know, music is a huge passion of mine. I'm constantly listening to music. I play saxophone primarily, uh, but I also play guitar, bass, and piano. I like writing music. Uh, I had a dog lost her recently that's been a really hard blow but we had 14 great years together so you know she was she was a pleasure to raise um and shout out to zuki, yeah, out to zuki. he was a good girl <laughs> but uh shows i'm watching i just finished the live action cowboy bebop and i have big feelings about how it ended <laughs> didn't it get, wasn't it getting canceled or something i, I saw something about netflix was going to cancel it I don't know. See, it felt like they left it open for a second season, which really confused me because I don't know if you've seen the original anime. It was pretty closed. Um, but yeah, I have big feelings about that. And now I'm sad to hear it might be canceled if there was to be a continuation. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it was super good. Yeah, I love anime. I play a lot of uh, imported Japanese RPGs. Uh, and my favorite band right now is Lord Huron. So I listen to a lot of, you know, kind of woods music, <laughs> going out and camping and, you know, I like bluegrass and still listen to the old emo punk rock from the, you know, 2000s to 2010s that was my formative childhood years. I definitely, uh, have a varied taste in music, you know, if it's, 2 a.m. and there's been too many you'll definitely catch me dancing to music i don't like outside the food trucks <laughs> <laughs> very cool yes and, and i have followed you in your journey and um you know amanda and i have been friends for over a decade now since we i met... was an architecture major in san antonio yeah, <laughs> yeah we met at utsa um, I was in grad school. I worked in the architecture building and you and I met, just kind of forged a relationship from there. Then we kind of lost touch for a few years and the last couple of years we've reconnected and I'm just super grateful to have you in my life. Me too. We yeah, go on many a camping and fishing there. adventure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, an important thing that I like to, to cover in these episodes um, and, you know, given my identities, I like to ask others about theirs. And so for people to get to know you a little better, what are some things about your identity or identities that you think would be helpful for our listeners to know? I love identities. That's fun. Um, I am gay. 
and I grew up in uh, a kind of a situation where it was not okay to be gay. And that'll kind of come into play later when we discuss uh, my, my experience in therapy. But yeah, I've, I've been gay as long as I have been of an age where I started realizing I was attracted to people. So, you know, as, as early as God, I can think like 10th grade, you know, or 10th grade, wow, that's way too late. Fifth grade, you know, when I was 10 or so, uh, as soon as you start realizing you have those attractions to other people, I mean, I was attracted to girls and boys, I guess I could say I'm bi, but I think everybody lays on a spectrum. And if we were to call mine a percentage, we'd, it'd be like 98 to <laughs> in favor of women. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. But uh, uh, and I guess if we were to say identities, I'm also Batman. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's that's pretty much. I mean, well, you were another thing. I think is important to mention. You were in the army. I think that's uh, I was. I was a soldier for a long time, and in in a lot of ways, I'm I'm still a soldier. There are a lot of things that they stick with you forever. On that, you know. Um. I, and I had an interesting experience. I never deployed. I was actually an army saxophone player, uh, which, you know, incidentally, re- recruiters do lie. Uh, you know, they told you, you're going to have a great cushy job on a tour bus, which I did eight months out of the year. Um, but I guess during a time of war, you're also supposed to have a secondary job and mine was MP. So I had, you know, an equal amount of soldier training to saxophone training. And, you know, there's a lot of weird stuff drilled into your head and I was actually uh, in a shooting on Saturday. It was nothing happened. Nobody got hurt, but it happened 10 feet away from me. And I've been out for 13 years and it was really crazy to me that my training kicked in instantly and I knew exactly what to do. And it was, it was just very interesting to me that, you know, I almost forget I was a soldier because I'm so far removed from it. And I even remember, you know, being in the thick of it, thinking like, I am never going to get over this. And people laughed and said, someday this is just going to be a bad dream. And I was like, no way. But it is now. It's just some weird like, oh, yeah, I was that once. <laughs> but, <laughs> but once things go down, it's really crazy how instantly like my mind shuts off and my body turns into pure instinct and I know how to handle things. So, yeah, that is another important part of my identity. Yeah. Now, you said you've been in therapy. When did you first seek therapy out? I did not seek therapy out. I was 16, and I did not come out to my family. I was found out. Uh, I got in a really bad car accident, and I had to get pride out of the car, and my clothes had to be cut off of me. And so as they were laying there, my parents found a letter from my girlfriend in my pants pocket. Uh, so I was found out and I, you know, I grew up in the church. I was in a, you know, touring Christian band at the time. And, um, you know, I dealt with a lot of depression because I grew up in a society where I knew it was not okay to be gay. I mean, it was my deepest, darkest secret. I knew as soon as I got found out that I would lose everything. So, yeah, I mean, I dealt with a lot of really hard emotional issues because of that. And, you know, so they, they attributed a lot of it to mental issues and immediately sent me to therapy. So, I mean, as, as early as 16, when they found out I was gay, they voluntold me I was going to therapy. 
how'd that go? I feel like things don't really go well when you're voluntold to do something. It was not. So, uh, you know, I got punished. Um, they took everything from me. They took my car from me. They took my door off the hinges. And I got to preface this with, uh, you know, before I tell this like horrible story about my parents and everybody's just like, oh, what horrible parents. We have mended our relationship since then. And they, they're wonderful people that support me a lot and care for me a lot. So I'm going to preface this with that. But at the time, you know, there was a lot of church influence that told them how to react and they didn't know what they were doing and they made mistakes and they've admitted this. But, you know, so, you know, they took my door off the hinges. They pulled me out of school. They, you know, I wasn't allowed to talk to any of my friends. I had to go to a different school. I was forced to break up with this girl who was just my love of the love of my life at the time. It was absolutely devastating. And they essentially sent me to this Christian therapist whose job was to make me not gay anymore. And the goal of this therapy was I could have my life back if I decided I was no longer gay. Mm -hmm. So that was her job. Doesn't sound like it worked. <laughs> not very well, <laughs> no. But I, I did. I lied. I lied very well. And I got out of therapy and I got all my stuff back. What about uh, in terms of like seeking therapy when you were an adult, like when you actually did it on your own accord? Well, there was a second time after that. So I dealt with that. I mean, that was a really traumatic experience for me. I, I left, left the home early. Um, I started dealing with a lot of addiction issues after that. Uh, so I left the home early and then I decided at a very young age to leave for the army after that. Cause I just had to get out. So two weeks after I graduated high school, I was leaving for basic training. Uh, and I drank a lot in the army and I was underage. So the army caught me for drinking underage and we're just like, you've got a really bad drinking problem. We're sending you to therapy. So kind of all and told again, <laughs> I was, but this therapist was much better, but I was also, a bit afraid I was serving during don't ask, don't tell a part of why I joined the army was like, well, if it's not, if it's like legally not okay for me to be gay, maybe I won't be gay anymore. <laughs> so, um, but I also didn't know what access the army had to those records. And if they were to find out I was gay, I would get dishonorably discharged. So there was a lot I couldn't tell her, but she was also a fairly fantastic therapist. She helped me through a lot of really, really difficult issues and helped me address my drinking issue. And I was able to deal with it a lot better after her. So I had a more positive experience with her, which actually led me to seek therapy later in life by choice. So it sounds like you've had experience with, would you say at least a handful of therapists? Oh man, I've been to upwards of five at this point. The one I went to after the one that I was voluntold to was a VA therapist. Um, I went through a pretty traumatic experience with, with my ex uh, during our breakup. And after that, I decided, you know, I, I, need, to, I need to go to therapy because this is going to mess me up for life if I don't deal with this. And I was not willing to give her that power over my life. Um, so I sought out that therapist and she was absolutely wonderful, but the VA is very difficult because there are soldiers returning from wars that have very, very difficult issues and they have a limited number of spots. So after a certain point, I had to yeah. step out of that therapy program. And so I sought some private therapists and 
I've had wonderful experiences with them ever since. They've helped a lot. Well, that's what I'm curious about. Like what, like positive, negative, what have your experiences been with therapists? Um, I feel like the biggest thing that, I mean, positive and negative that I've had with therapists is positive is learning how to be comfortable with myself, learning how to not blame myself for what happened when I was a teenager, you know, for turning to the drugs that I turned to after dealing with the fallout of being found out, getting kicked out of the band, getting kicked out of the church because I was gay. Um, Accepting the fact that while I had to eventually take responsibility for the addiction and recover from it and, you know, not let it run my life, um, I couldn't take, I I couldn't take the full guilt on for that being a result of the situation I went through and learning to forgive teenage me for what happened. Self-compassion. Yeah, self-compassion has been a huge thing and realizing that that was even an option. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, a lot of the situations I ended up in an, as an adult, I, the biggest mind blowing realization I got from a therapist was realizing ending up in these horrible, abusive relationships was trying to recreate situations from that period in order to try to find a different result, which mm-hmm. is just not possible because if you seek these same people with these abusive tendencies, you can't fix them. You won't end up with a different result. And that was absolutely mind blowing for me. It was realizing that I was just trying to relive something. It wasn't just a trait of mine. Oh, I just pick horrible people. No, I was, (laughs) I was purposefully seeking that. That's not just a personality trait of mine. And thank God I haven't made that mistake since. Um, Oh yeah. (laughs) No kidding. But, uh, also just learning to be comfortable with my emotions. You know, I used to have a lot of anger problems from that and realizing that anger is never a face value emotion. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's always, it's always a different name for me. It's usually sadness or frustrated expectations or embarrassment at myself. So now you know, learning to mindfulness, you know, that was a huge thing I learned from therapy. So learning to observe my emotions as they come on and realizing that I'm starting to feel angry. What is that? Oh, well, I'm just, I'm really sad today because my dog's dead. I'm not actually pissed at this guy in traffic, Right. you know? So that's been a great thing I've learned from therapy. Uh, some, some negative things I've, I've gotten in therapy is sometimes I feel like therapists get frustrated at me because they give me advice and get mad when I don't follow through <laughs> enough because I'm like, yeah, that's great in theor- theory, but like, I'm not comfortable with talking to my parents about how my experiences with them in my teenage years affected me because I don't feel like hurting them like that at this stage in my life is beneficial or in our lives or our relationships, you know? And like, I, I get that that may be good for me, but <laughs> as it's a not where you are right now. Yeah. You know, and, and I feel like I've frustrated a few of them and they've given up on trying to help me because I wouldn't take that advice. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's why it's so important to meet the client where they're at, you know, 
um, because otherwise it's frustrating for both parties, I think. Yeah, and I've definitely left therapists for that reason. So, you know, the next question, I've asked this question since the uh, beginning, the first episode of the podcast, and you've heard all of the answers. Um, yeah. that. And so what is your experience of what it feels like when a therapist holds space for you? <laughs> this is an interesting one for me because holding space is... It's such a complicated thing. I, in therapy in particular, there's this one thing therapists do, and it's that what it, what it my, the one I go to most regularly, she described it as, what is it? Therapeutic silence where y'all get quiet and you make me squirm in my chair so that I talk, <laughs> but I hate it. <laughs> I just hate that because I hate feeling silence. So I will sit and stare back at you for however long it takes. Cause I just, I don't want to, but I really enjoy holding space because learning that from therapists has made me a much better friend because I, that's something I've learned that makes me able to sit and listen to you when you're coming to me with problems or just, I'm having a shitty day. And it has taught me to just sit and listen and understand where you're coming from and not interject my experience or try to do the one up like, Oh yeah, here's why my day is bad too. You know? So holding space from therapists is interesting for me because I think all of them do it in different ways, but yeah, it's that therapeutic silence that <laughs> drives me crazy. That's, that's how I experience holding space from therapists sometimes, them trying to make me come up with things to talk about. <laughs> well, I think sometimes holding space is like the way I have this visual in my brain of what it looks like. And, and what I feel like I'm doing in those moments, it's like, say we're in a room, uh, or here, here's a better example. Say we are in a field with really tall grass. Um, what I feel like I'm doing is matting that grass down to give that person space to just be who they are, you know, holding everything else in the world out for that moment with my entire attention and like everything devoted to that client in that moment. Like that is their moment. Does that make sense? It does. And that is one of the things that I love about therapy and I love about therapists is that my therapist is the only person that knows everything about me. They're the unbiased third party that has no emotional investment in who I am or what I've done. I can tell you my deepest, darkest secret and every most horrible thing I've ever done. And there's no judgment. It just is what it is. It's the only time I can get everything off my chest, everything that's weighed me down and made me think I'm the most horrible human being in the world because I did this thing. And they sit back and laugh and go, you are completely normal. Everybody does that. And I'm just like, oh shit, I've held that weight for years. And you're the first person that has told me that I am absolutely normal for it. Instead of, you know, if I were to tell my parents that or my friend that they would, I feel like now I feel like they'd go, oh shit, me too. But, you know, before it was just something I held on to that made me feel like I was so horrible, you know, for thinking that or for feeling that or for doing that, you know, whatever it is. 
Well, I mean, it makes sense because you were essentially other, you know, that you would feel like all aspects of yourself were abnormal or inadequate in some way, shape, or form. Always. I was always wrong, you know. So the next question, we have had various different points of view on this. Now, has a therapist of yours ever cried in session? I guess this is a multifaceted question. So has a therapist of yours ever cried in session? What was this like for you? And what are your thoughts about when therapists cry in session with clients? So I do love this question because everybody has a different answer and a different reason for their answer. And I, a lot of them backtrack. <laughs> they go, yes, I would laugh or cry with my client. Mm, no, I would laugh with my client. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and, and most of the most popular reason they wouldn't cry with their client is because they don't want to make it about them. And they want to give them that space for it to be about the client, which is really great. I really love that. And up till recently, I'd never had a therapist cry with me. And part of me was, is, you know, I thought that was good because I have a lot of, a lot of my story is very sad. And to me, it's just become a matter of fact thing. Like I can tell you about, you know, horrible experiences growing up or tell them about, you know, an abusive situation with my ex. And I don't want you to cry about it because for me, it's very matter of fact. Now I've dealt with it. It's made me who I am. And I love who I am because of that experience. And I wouldn't trade it for the world. So I don't want you to cry about it because it's not a sad thing. You know, I wouldn't even, I, I wouldn't trade any of it. But recently I explained to one of my therapists that, you know, my dog died and I started crying and she let loose some tears with me. And I just, I thought it was a wonderful experience. I loved that she shared that human emotion with me. Um, it just felt like such a empathetic, personal response. And she recovered Relational. very quickly. Yeah. And she recovered very quickly. And, you know, as, as soon as I was done explaining it, she, she wiped her face and immediately moved on with the right question and kept it about me and the situation. And I thought it was perfect. I really loved that. She shared that with me. Yeah. And any other thoughts like about therapists crying in session? So it sounds like your experience has been positive. Do you think there's any potential for it to be a negative experience? Oh, well, yeah. Like I discussed earlier, you know, there are a lot of people that have been through traumatic situations that is just it just is a fact about their life now. It's not something I want you to cry about. Mm -hmm. And there are people who have been through way worse than me. They're just like, oh, shit, like I want to cry for you as a human that you had to go through that. But doing that for them is not beneficial. They've dealt with it in a, in a different way over their life to where it's just I am who I am because that happened to me. And I'm happy that I am who I am because that happened to me. Please don't cry for me. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. How do you think the therapists you've worked with experience you? <laughs> well, I did. I had texted you after that. And I said, I made my therapist cry. I think I win therapy. <laughs> <laughs> but I, oh, I, I wonder that frequently about everybody in general. I wonder how they experience me because I feel like I'm a very weird one. Um, I mean, that's why we're friends. <laughs> <That's fair. laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, I think. I think I'm complicated. I am. I have a lot of, 
I have a lot of really conflicting issues. You know what I mean? Like I have a lot of therapists that say, you seem like you have a lot of personal worth questions. And, you know, I respond to that with like, well, no, I don't. I think I'm worth a lot. I think I'm a great person, you know, but yeah, I can see how you would see that that seems like a worth issue, you know, and a, a lot of my aspects seem like they might be conflicting. Um, so I could see how I might be a little confusing to a therapist. Um, and I, I do tend to make a lot of them laugh. I kind of wonder sometimes it's like, if we weren't clients, you'd probably want to be friends with me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, it's hard as a therapist because sometimes there are people that you meet when you like, think about it, you're like, oh, wow. Like I could totally be friends with this person if we hadn't met in this way, you know? Um, but I think that's a good sign. Like that's a sign that you click too, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a sign that you're vibing, as you said at the beginning, to use your, your language. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and I hope that we use the word vibing a lot more in the future. Um, I hate that I've appropriated that from the millennial. <laughs> I'm an elder millennial. I do not identify as a millennial, but I'm on the cusp, and I hate that I've appropriated that. <laughs> so what would you say is the best advice you've ever received, like just in general throughout your life? Well, this pertains to my job, but to this day, the best advice I've ever received as far as that goes is the best engineers are show driven and not ego driven. And I feel like that's, that's really, it's kind of spread to a lot of my life is that the best friends are, you know, other driven and not ego driven. And it's just, that God, that's always stuck with me is losing my identity over the pandemic by losing my job and having to figure out who I was without my job and learning how to, I mean, experiencing, <laughs> I really hope my parents don't listen to this podcast, <laughs> but, uh, experiencing ego death through exploring hallucinogens over, over my time in the woods. It's just learning how to take ego out of the equation has been the most beneficial thing that's ever happened in my life and it stemmed from hearing from an engineer that I consider my mentor explaining to me that you are not a good professional until you take your ego out of the equation it's probably the best advice I've ever gotten I mean I think that would should be applied for therapists as well <laughs> therapists shouldn't be ego driven I mean I think in general you know we do better when we are not ego-driven because that colors our intentions and priorities, you know? Yeah, it does. And it makes things, I don't know. I feel like, yeah, serving your ego as opposed to serving everything else around you just narrows your scope of the world so much. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I feel like it's the same thing with social media. It's so ego-driven. Totally. I've my whole life watching people with their heads in their phones. And I've gotten off social media for the last couple months. And it's been so interesting being the only person with my head up. <laughs> the <laughs> only one watching the world. And it's so fucking beautiful out there. And it's just like, God, I wish y'all could see this. Like, did you see the moon tonight? And they're like, what? <laughs> Yeah, like, yeah. The stars today, and oh man, look at that sunset, and they're scrolling through their feed. You know, it's all ego driven. People want the likes, they want the the attention, they want people to notice them. And if you look up, 
instead of look at your phone, I'll notice you. I'll talk to you, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What do you do to take care of yourself? I hike. Hiking. Oh, I love to kayak too. I mean, I, I say I wasn't an outdoors person before the pandemic. That's not entirely true. I've, I've always been obsessed with kayaking. And that one was predominantly because going out onto the water, it's so quiet. And it was, it was like church to me because it's after a long, loud weekend, it allowed my ears to decompress and it was just so wonderful. But now hiking has become such a sanctuary for me. I feel like nature is the only place I can go and really just kind of feel my emotions and express myself in a safe place. Like nature is so wonderful and spiritual. You know, I've, having grown up in the church in such a oppressive church atmosphere, I've experienced God in nature more than I ever found in church. And I don't mean in the Christian sense. I mean, more in like a overarching, like energy, whatever it is, you know, just some higher power. But I feel like when I, the second I put my foot on a hiking trail, it feels like, Oh, oh there I am, you know? And feel like I'm a walk, walking alongside some version of me that's the right version of me and the more I walk the more I become integrated with that person so mm -hmm. hiking is what I do every time I become overwhelmed with my feelings or I notice things are turning towards the negative I put my foot in the trails oh yeah um and also I want to add when I open up my land-based shark fishing charter service you're totally going to be my yacker <laughs> I'm probably going to be the yacker. <laughs> um, I might not question. be as cool as that guy from uh, Shark at the Moon, though. He was pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, he was a beast, man. Um, <laughs> how would you define happiness? Especially, I'm, I'm very curious how you're going to answer this question, just even philosophically. Oh, yes. This, this question excites me as a philosopher, but... I've spent a lot of time thinking about this. I've wrote many papers on this, written, wrote, philosophy, not English major. Anyways, <laughs> um, happiness is freedom. And I think a lot about Aldous Huxley's The Island, you know, when I make this claim. But to me, and I love, I love your answer the most. And I think a lot of the therapists on the show say this, that it's, it's a temporary state and it's fleeting and it's not something that can stay, but I think happiness is something that can stay and happiness is something that you can continue to follow as long as you're able to continue to follow your freedom. And so I think about, you know, I've been talking a lot lately about going and hiking the Camino de Santiago and it'll be taking six weeks out of my life. And it's kind of terrifying thinking about like, what'll happen with my job? Will I lose my spot? Will, you know, what'll happen with this or that? Will this relationship fall off? Will my friends still be there? What happens to my life? And realizing that taking six weeks out of your life to seek a freedom like that, that's happiness. You know, taking charge of your life and realizing that all of these things that not necessarily hold you back, but their responsibilities that take that freedom from you, that's what keep you from being happy. That's what keeps happiness a temporary thing and not a permanent thing. And I think the more free you allow yourself to be, the more happiness you invite to stay in your life. 
And I feel like a lot of that does come from having grown up in an environment where I wasn't allowed to be myself. The more that I was allowed to be myself, be who I was and be where I wanted to be with the people I chose to be with, the happier my life became. Yeah, I I think I like happiness to me is kind of how like in, in a previous episode with I think it was Iris. Um, we talked about self-care and so to me happiness is building a life that we don't need to regularly escape from yeah um you know and I think just like everything just like balance in general you know I think things in the world tend toward entropy right so we always have to be mindful to keep whatever factors in balance you know and I think that's how like to me, I think happiness is a fleeting emotion, but I would also put like contentment next to happiness. To me, contentment is like long-term happiness. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and I tend towards, I, I got, have, especially someone who's uh, explored, you know, being a self-proclaimed psychonaut lately. <laughs> I've spent a lot of time studying like the more yogi and Buddhist perspectives on life. And I just, I really love that tending towards that happiness and contentment seems to stem from letting go, mm-hmm. letting go mm-hmm. and letting be, you know, and realizing yes. that happiness stems from releasing control and just letting life be what it is and appreciating the beauty in whatever transpires. Totally. Totally. We are on the same page, my friend. Yeah. Next one is a vulnerable question. What is the most embarrassing moment you have had in your life to date? This is so, it's like, which one? Uh, I was thinking about that and I was, there was like uh, a couple of years ago, I was at work and there's this girl in a band that I was just, she's so pretty. And like, I just, I, I forgot how words worked around her, you know, like that level of pretty. And I was trying to show off a little bit. And I tried to j- jump up the staircase onto the stage and my foot got stuck and I just face planted. Oh, no. Stage. Uh, needless to say, I never attempted to ask her out <laughs> because every time I saw her, my brain would just kind of go. Eh. <laughs> say words. Yeah. Oh, it's terrible. But I mean, they're just I after Zuki died, I was absolutely brain dead and I was working with this famous artist and. He had a guest engineer and I was trying, trying to help connect the guest engineer to our PA and I fell off our stage and then I handed the wrong part. I mean, he probably thought I was drunk and I was dead sober, but I was, uh, and then at the parish, there are these weird poles in the middle of the room and the room was frequently kind of dark. So I can't tell you how many times I'd get off stage and start to like you know, I've got a little bit of a swagger. So I'd be like swaggering back to front of house and just plow face first into that pole. Well, you know, <laughs> I've got so many, Noah. <laughs> Those are some good ones. Thank you for sharing. Um, I'm really curious about this next question. What are some of your favorite episodes, topics, quotes, etc., from Next Quest podcast and why? My favorite episode to date was the past life regression. And you and I actually, I got to listen to that in full when we were out camping at Huntsville. And I was just absolutely 
entranced the entire time. Like I just, I, I've always been obsessed with the idea of reincarnation and I feel like I believe in it to an extent. I mean, of course you get, you know, you think about it. I mean, it is real to an extent in the, in the sense that, you know, our bodies go back to the earth and turn into something that grows, that's eaten by something else that, you know, I mean, it, there is a cycle. Now you throw in consciousness that gets a bit philosophically confusing. And again, I've written papers upon papers on this, but God, that past life regression was just so fascinating. The things that you remembered and I have to do this at some point. I'm just, I'm so, I want to know really do. my past lives were. I'm surprised uh, you haven't actually. Like, I'm surprised you haven't yet. Me too, actually. I need to make that happen in 2022. That's that's top goal for sure. Barbara yeah, Amanda's was... coming for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming, Barbara. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, God, yeah, to date, that's still my absolute favorite episode. And when people ask me, you know, when I, when I recommend the podcast, which one to start with, that's always the one I tell them to. Um, but another one of mine, and I, oh, what was his name? Richard? I can't, I'm so horrible with names, but he was the one that did um, the religious trauma. Oh, uh, I, Christy. Oh, was it? Good? Christy well, Powell, you. yeah. But yeah, I was texting you the whole time I was editing that episode, like, oh my God, Noah, this is my life. I remember, yeah. <laughs> like, cried several times, mixed editing that episode, just like, because, you know, I've been through therapy for so long and I've had a lot of, a lot of that touched on, but there were just so many things he added in there that was just like, oh shit. Like, growing up religious is in so many ways, like a level of child abuse, like you should not be raised from the moment you're born being told that you are inherently wrong and sinful and going to hell. Like that's just fucked up, <laughs> you yeah. know? And then on top of it, like I'm, I'm sitting there like with these confusing feelings towards women and I'm watching TV with my parents and two boys kiss or two girls kiss. And my parents go and change the channel. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, fuck, you know? Uh, yeah, that, that was a, a good episode. But I also really enjoyed uh, the very first one on nature therapy. I When I listened to that, I was like, man, I, I would go to her. She, she sounds like a therapist to vibe with. That was Rhonda Dyer, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's so, so many good ones, though. Yeah, no, I know. I've I've loved each episode in its own way. Um, you know, with the pandemic, most therapists switched to telehealth. What are your thoughts about in-person therapy versus telehealth? Oh, telehealth feels like such a not a cheap knockoff. Like that seems like a hard way to put it, but. There's just something about being in person and I get it because, you know, pandemic makes things hard and being in an enclosed space with someone and then sharing that with who knows how many people have been in there. Like I get it, but there's, there's just something that can't compare to sitting face to face with someone and sharing that personal energy with them. And like, I appreciate so much that I've been able to continue my therapy, but it's just not the same staring at someone through a screen. What are some of the most helpful things you have learned through your own therapy? 
Well, some of it I touched on previously was, you know, learning self-compassion and forgiveness and learning how to feel comfortable feeling my emotions, sadness being the hardest. I'm so bad at feeling sad and allowing myself to cry. And I've gotten really good at it lately with uh, losing Zuki. And, you know, it's, it's been uh, a huge part of honoring our life together and our experience to cry for her. Um, but I think another huge, huge thing that I didn't talk about was learning how to set boundaries. And uh, I, I volunteer with a program called Girls Rock Austin. We take uh, female and female identifying students uh, from the ages of eight to 17 and we teach them a instrument and they form a band and they write a, a song over the course of a week and they perform it at a local venue at the end of the week. But we also teach them things like gender and identity and healthy relationships and um, things like how to make merch and self-defense. I mean, it's a really great program, but I love that program. Oh, it's so amazing. But um, you know, one of the things that I really try to teach my students and something that's been huge for me to learn myself through therapy is that as especially assigned female at birth uh, people, one thing that we're not taught and one thing that's not really especially celebrated is setting boundaries and learning to say no and saying that it's okay to, you know, really be like, this is not okay for me. I don't want to do this. This is not mm -hmm. something I want in my life. And People pleasing and putting others yes, first. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And just even as a human being, you know, taking gender or identity or anything out of it, setting boundaries is so important set boundaries for your own health you know your own mental health all of that and that has that has been absolutely essential in my life now what's it like being friends with a therapist i.e me as a layperson i enjoy that you hold a lot of space for me but one thing that's always been important for me in being friends with you is to never take advantage of that like as a sound engineer it really bothers me like I never mind getting people into shows but it bothers me when people take advantage of that or they want to ask me to do work for them at a severely discounted rate or you know they just try to they don't realize that like this is my job and I charge quite a lot for what I do and I take what I do very seriously and I'm very good at what I do and it's the same for you you know you're very good at what you do and you have a price and this is your job this is your livelihood so an important thing for me is that I never take advantage of the fact that you're a therapist and I never on a friend level I do ask you for advice on things but I never want to take advantage of the fact that you're a therapist or make you work when you're not working you know like when we're fishing, we're fishing. We're not just talking about my issues the whole time. Or I like to give you space to talk about your issues. And, you know, who therapizes the therapists? <laughs> you know? The therapist, the grand therapist. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, your friends should also be there for that. So that's something I try to be conscious of. It's, it's, it's someone that's a lay person, friends with the therapist is, I guess, to try to make it reciprocal and to never take advantage of the fact that that's something that I'm sure you're willing to do and that you're very good at, but I never want to burden you with that, you know? Well, you know, I would never let you anyway, because I'm, you know, boundaries. as a therapist, boundaries, <laughs> boundaries, boundaries, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> boundaries are so important. <laughs>
Right. And like, to me, like a part of boundaries is also just genuinely like open and honest communication, you know? Um, And that's one thing that I make sure I do across any, with any person that I come across. Um, Because I know it's very, it's one of those things that's important to me. So I make sure to, you know, do that all the time. Yeah. Um, Just very cognizant about that. Uh, So, well, Amanda, is there anything else that you think would be good for our listeners or other therapists to know about you? Um, I enjoy life. I enjoy everything. Uh, despite what I've been through, despite anything, I think life is so beautiful. I, we, we go back to that band that I love, uh, Lord Huron. One of my favorite lines is, uh, you know, I want to be the man that lives forever. And I think about that all the time is when I die, I hope reincarnation is real because I want to come back and do this all over again as soon as possible and enjoy all of this all over again in whatever way I can do. And, you know, I don't, I don't take myself seriously at all. Um, which is fun because I am a consummate professional and it's always really enjoyable to me to come up and goof off with the bands and just have so much fun and give everybody a great experience while giving them the best show that they've ever had. And I I like to be that way with everybody. You know, it's just, I'm goofy. I love to have a great time. I love to dance, even though I'm a horrible dancer, but I will confidently dance horribly with you. You know, I just, I love experiencing life, everything. It's, it can be so fun. And I'm saying this in the middle of experiencing some pretty extreme grief. So it's, uh, life is beautiful. Well, stay tuned for our episode starting in January when Amanda will be officially joining me as a co-host. And Amanda, thanks for so much for, you know, putting all your shit out there and, you know, doing this interview today. Thanks. No, I'm super excited to move forward with this. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it as well. Thank you for listening to Next Quest Podcast. I learned something new today, and I hope you did too. Stay tuned for our episode next week featuring Sean Austin, licensed professional counselor, who will be speaking about her practice in an area of clinical focus, adults healing from childhood trauma. Next Quest Podcast is sponsored by Jan Dimmit Resources. Save yourself the time and stress of credentialing and let the experts at Jan Dimmit Resources do what they do best. For over 20 years, Jan Dimmitt Resources has provided administrative support and credentialing services to mental health professionals in Texas and beyond. Visit their website at jandimmitt.com. That is J-A-N-D-I-M-M-I-T-T.com or call 512-731-5725 for more information on all the ways they can make running your practice easier for you. NextQuest Podcasts relies solely on donations to keep this project going. Please consider becoming a patron on my Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash nextquestpodcast 
or you can make a one-time donation on my website at www.nextquestcounseling.com slash aboutnextquestpodcast. You can also support the podcast by liking our Facebook page. Until next question, this is Noah Garcia signing off.